This podcast is sponsored by OAG. With the world's largest network of air travel data, OAG provides the most comprehensive, accurate flight schedule and flight status information from one trusted source. Explore our industry-leading data for airlines at oag.com. Today we're going to talk about an airline that appears to be in deep trouble. They just reported their annual results for the fiscal year ending in March 2015. That's right, 2015. So they're about a year behind on publishing results. Yeah, that alone a red flag. And the results they did publish were not good. They had a $442 million net loss, negative 8% operating margin, and that negative 8% was only after excluding a large asset write-off. <laughs> I'm talking about South African Airways, an airline that is clearly struggling. What is wrong with this airline? The answer is, not surprisingly, multifaceted. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the multifaceted Seth Kaplan, <laughs> Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about a possible resurgence at Kenya Airways. Singapore Airlines reported some dismal load factors. We'll also check in on Cathay Pacific. We'll look at worsening conditions in the transatlantic market. And lastly, we'll consider the many challenges for Spirit and Frontier Airlines. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with the troubled South African Airways. They lost a lot of money in their fiscal year ending March 2015. Seth, why are they taking so long to report earnings or in this case, losses? Hard to say, you know, an airline that's well, let's put it this way, Jason. Um, generally, when an airline waits that long, the news isn't good. Uh, and that's not to say that they're, you know, purposely dragging their feet. They they probably just have so many problems uh, that that. You know, they're they're consumed trying to address those problems and not, uh, you know, reporting about them uh, and, and, and just, you know, when a lot is going wrong, you mentioned in the intro, uh, you know, writing off an asset sale, you know, kind of kind of complicated financial maneuvers, you know, that, too, uh, can take time. Uh, so when you add it all up, yeah. Uh, nobody expected the news to be all that good. Although certainly, uh, yeah, if anything, confirmation of, uh, of, of just how bad we feared, if not, maybe per, maybe perhaps a bit worse. These earnings go back far enough that oil prices were still high for much of that fiscal year. Is it possible that they're doing better now that oil prices are low? Yeah, it's, it's quite possible. I mean, if you look around the world, most airlines, uh, despite all the unit revenue degradation and all the other challenges, most airlines have uh, been doing better in recent quarters than they, than they had been doing uh, a year earlier. You know, the benefit of that at some point starts to level off because the year-over-year -year oil price declines level off. Look, if you look at South Africa, now that's a place where, where the local currency plummeted too. That, that's very unhelpful. That, that sort of negates a lot of the benefit of falling oil prices. Oil prices, of course, denominated in, in U.S. dollars. So uh, you know, when you're buying oil in a depreciated currency, you're not getting the same discount that a uh, certainly a U.S. airline or, 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 or an airline in a country with a relatively resilient currency is getting, you know, number one, despite that fact, again, most airlines, uh, you know, ha have, in fact, been doing better uh, for the moment. And number two, uh, you know, kind of don't look now, but 
the South African rand, the currency has in fact been strengthening lately. It, it, it's quite a bit off its lows. Uh, the same true uh, for, you know, the Brazilian real and for other troubled currencies around the world. So, you know, yeah, it, it, is, it, is it possible that they're doing somewhat better uh, just on lower oil prices? Uh, in short, although I didn't make that short, uh, in short, the answer would be yes. So, and they also have the Ebola scare probably behind them as well. Exactly. So, uh, because of how far back that goes, right, most airlines have already sort of lapped that, you know, uh, where, where that's, you know, more than a year in the past and they, they don't get the, um, uh, the benefit in terms of their comps, you know, comparisons to the Ebola period, but, uh, South Africa, yeah, very much still, still would. So, uh, yeah, sure. So, so there's, there's reason to think that, uh, that they might have, at least rebounded from their lows, but very little reason to think uh, that 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 things are good there. You know, they're they're very clearly still in in crisis mode. You don't need audited financial reports to know that. You just uh, uh, you know see the things they're doing and 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 read the local press reports and and uh, statements that they've made, and, and you know that things are are still not good there. So what can they do to get out of the woods? It, well, they could privatize themselves and and. But that's only in theory. I mean, it, it, it's you know, you're talking about something where uh, something of huge political importance. You know, of course, not the only airline in the world in that situation. Understandably, for a country that is is so geographically remote relative to most of the world, that you know, inbound airlift is important. Uh, you know, and you can imagine to the extent that look, they want to be able to control that and know that uh, they're not just sort of subject to the whims of of, of foreign carriers. Uh, you know, how many people are going to be coming to South Africa? You can understand um, what the the importance of of the airline. You know, on the other hand, you are talking about a place that would have a, a certain amount of service no matter what, probably a decent amount of service because you know it it, it is a, a an important destination. It is a place with a, a lot of VFR visiting friends and relatives traffic. You know, people who you know where you have somebody living abroad in Europe or elsewhere. So you know that's just kind of a value judgment. How much uh, how much the country you know country with a lot of needs should be willing to continue. Uh, pouring into this airline that never does seem to turn the corner. I mean, you know, they've been at this for a lot of years. So, so anyway, that that's one you know theoretical option: privatize it, just sort of let it uh, you know fend for itself, let it make the changes it needs to make. Uh, you know, however improbable that may seem. And uh, you know, or or you could just you know, in some cases, move more of the flying onto the low cost Mango platform. They do have they do have an LCC. You know, just kind of use that to uh, to shed cost. You know. There's, Talk of of launching bases in other uh, in, in in other country, you know, West Africa, uh, Ethiopian, of course, has has you know, more successfully done that. But Ethiopian is just a more successful airline. If it sounds like I'm struggling, Jason, to come up with answers about what they should do, uh, there, there's there's a reason for that. Hard hard to hard to be too optimistic about this airline, at least fending for itself. Uh, you know, if if the government's willing to continue recapitalizing it forever, then you know, then then they can uh, they can survive like this forever. Well, you did a good job nonetheless. <laughs> Meanwhile, South Africa's competitor, Comair, seems to be getting stronger. They reported a 8% operating margin in the first six months of 2016. Uh, 8%, not too bad on its own, but more importantly, it's up from 3% a year earlier. Yeah, impressive uh, company, uh, you know, a company that's not on the radar of a lot of people around the world. In fact, its name is, is, is confused by many with the... Uh, uh, the former com the former rather Comair in the U.S., uh, uh, which was most recently a subsidiary of Delta, a, a regional airline. 
but South Africa's Comair is um, kind of an interesting company. Uh, two sides to it, really, uh, depending on how you categorize it, at least two sides to it. Uh, just in terms of the airline itself, you have the British Airways branded franchise. So this is sort of an upmarket short haul, short to mid haul carrier where, uh, you know, British Airways will connect its passengers onto this airline. It, it's, it's branded BA. Uh, so you know, people fly down to you know, from from London to Johannesburg, for example, and then then onward uh, on this airline uh, to elsewhere. And then there's a low cost carrier called uh, Kalula, and uh, and that's the other side of it. So right there, impressive. You know, with the, we talk a lot, Jason, about uh, you know sort of legacy airlines that that set up low cost units and how little success there is uh, in the world of doing that. Often we will give Jetstar in Australia, the, the Qantas unit, is sort of a, one of the very rare examples of where that can work. But we probably shouldn't forget to mention this one because it's another one where they've been doing this for a long time and and with um with reasonable success at least in a in a difficult market and in fact uh you know if you ask Comair uh, what we just talked about a moment ago South African Airways that's one of their big challenges um because when you're up against a uh you know, a, a huge competitor that's not subject to the same market forces that you are and, you know, with a government owner that, that continues recapitalizing it, you know, it's impressive when you're able to do as well as commerce. Not just like it's impressive when, you know, uh, Indian carriers like, you know, Indigo are able to do as well as, as they can against, you know, Air India, same uh, same concept there. And so, yeah, they just kind of stick to what works. Um, another thing, Jason, we've talked about in the past, the fact that if you look around the world and then you sort of try to say, okay, well, what drives profits at airlines that are disproportionately profitable? And you kind of look at the top 10, 20 airlines in the world, they tend to disproportionately be short haul carriers, narrow body carriers, certainly not only those, but you know, South African Airways with its long haul fleet. Uh, long haul flying is high risk flying. Uh, you know, you burn a lot of fuel. Um, you you basically just spend a lot of money and, and you really need a lot of revenue to to cover that, to just to break even. And, and uh, while certainly there are good long haul markets in the world, it, it's just a higher risk kind of flying. Comair is not in that business. Uh, and, and so, you know, just, just sort of the business model by itself probably lends itself to just starting at a better place. Um, and, and so, yeah, you uh, got to hand it to them, definitely. And in, in, in a part of the world where there aren't many profitable airlines uh, to begin with and, and with specific challenges in South Africa with the economy, the currency, the competitive environment, uh, they've, they've done uh, pretty well. And while we're in this part of the world, let's touch on Kenya Airways and FastJet. In July, Kenya reported their six-month results that ended in March, and things have improved. Operating margin was still a negative 3%, but that was much, much better than the negative 21% for the same period a year before. Is Kenya picking itself up off the mat? Yeah, it sure seems to be. Uh, you know, it's an airline that's that's uh, been through a, a very painful uh, cost-cutting exercise. And, the, I mean, you could see them just sort of doing what they can in terms of shedding fleet, you know, leasing out jets, uh, do, doing doing whatever is necessary to, to try to get back on their feet, sort of seeming to move more quickly in that regard, let's say, than South African uh, airways. Um, they were, uh, Kenya, absolutely in, in, in dire straits, uh, still, as you mentioned, losing money. Um, so, so, you know, haven't turned the corner, but impressive what they've managed to accomplish. Yeah, they've benefited from the fact that Ebola is now uh, farther in the past, for example, um, the, uh, the, the worst of the terrorism in Kenya. I mean, although, you know, you're 
you just never know when 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 uh, you know things could deteriorate again. Right now, uh, you know Kenya not not on the front pages of, of newspapers as a problematic just destination in the same way that others are, and so people willing to to uh, to go there again. It has managed to at least go from a situation where its survival was in question to one where it, it, it seems to be on on the right uh, the right path, and, and you have to again give them a lot of credit for that because they've 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 done that despite some some very tough odds. And fast jet, uh, to put it mildly, things are not as rosy in Tanzania. No, there's one where uh, you know if you're looking for sort of a a pivot point. Uh, an inflection point where, where where things might have turned around doesn't seem to have uh, happened there. I had the the figure pulled up here. Yeah, here it was. They uh, lost thirty one million dollars on thirty three million dollars in total revenues. Uh, so that's what you know, nearly a what is that a negative ninety five percent operating margin or something? Uh, that that's on an operating basis. The net loss was was uh, was fifteen million dollars. That that in the first half of of uh, two thousand sixteen. Uh, yeah, you know, this is one of those airlines that um you certainly uh, I think a lot of people rooted for it to succeed. Here you had the uh, you know the founder of EasyJet going down and you know trying to prove that you could run a uh, low cost carrier. In in sub-Saharan Africa, I mentioned before, Kalula, the unit of Comair, has done it with reasonable success, but it's very tough. And and this is one where, you know, the the thing about South Africa, at least, is that you have a few domestic markets where uh, they didn't have quite the regulatory challenges that that you have when you're trying to get foreign flying rights, as as FastJet has has uh, tried with such limited success to do and, and uh, you know, just just, just uh, uh, all kinds of other challenges associated with trying to run a uh, low cost carrier in that part of the world. So now it's I mean, it's 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 trying what it can. You've got new management there uh, actually down gauging from A319s to E-Jets. You, you know, there you're just kind of looking at lower trip costs, lower total costs. But you know, if anything, your unit costs go up. Uh, when when you go into smaller aircraft, I mean, the low cost model is based on volume. It's filling planes that have a reasonable number of seats, and so once you're into uh, some of this stuff that it's doing, it's it's just um, just caught myself about to say the same thing again. I said about South African Airways earlier. Is it hard to be optimistic? Yeah, you certainly hope they can uh, they can figure something out, but but right now no no, no real signs of, of things getting any better for Fast Chat, which 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 was uh, again to emphasize an airline that some people thought might be uh the next air asia you know uh you know uh the you know an airline proving that you could do this in a region where uh, it hadn't previously been done and, and uh, uh so far at least africa does seem to be the exception to what's been shown over and over again that yes the low cost model can uh can can work anywhere Let's jump over to Asia. Singapore Airlines and Cathay Pacific reported some August load factors that caught our attention. How worrisome is this? Well, it, it, yeah, it's it's cause for concern. Look, to be clear, um, load factors uh, alone don't tell you anything about profitability um, because, you know, theoretically, Jason, you could have slightly lighter load factors, you know, a few more empty seats, but, uh, but you know, much higher yields. And, and in the end, what matters isn't load factors alone. Uh, it's not yields alone. Yield just kind of how much, how many cents per mile you're, you're getting for each ticket, but it's you put the two together and you end up with unit revenues. You know, So if you have very high yields, even though you don't have all that full plane, that can be okay. Or if you have a very full plane on only you know, modest yields, you know, that could be okay too. But having said all that, you know, all things being equal, Jason, 
emptier planes are 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 rarely a good sign. And in this part of the world, we know that there is a challenging yield environment. You know, so so the idea that somehow they've just been very aggressive with with fares and given up a little volume in in, in exchange for for much higher fares that would uh, drive higher profits and eh, pr- probably pretty pretty fanciful um so uh so yeah at least until proven otherwise you'd have to say that that sets off some alarm bells in august singapore posted an alarming six point year over year drop in mainline load factors yeah cafe cafe not as bad uh two point drop in august august load factors and this follows the lackluster earnings from cafe which reported just a one percent operating margin for the first half of 2016 yeah, that's a cause for concern for an airline that had kind of managed to keep its head above water for uh, you know for for a while. So Singapore Airlines is one, of course, with a long history of profits, but at this point, kind of a long streak of of, of underwhelming profits uh, this decade, most of it anyway. So Cathay actually had had to kind of separated itself from from Singapore Airlines in that regard and and uh, and done reasonably well uh, this this decade but yeah one percent margin now for Cathay compared to five percent for uh, Singapore for the uh, the first calendar half of uh, of 2016 so this too I, I said before in a different context inflection point you, you know maybe a little bit too early to, to, to say that things have flipped back but uh, we can at least say here for uh, for the past little while that Singapore Airlines has perhaps righted the ship, is at least moving in the right direction, whereas uh, uh, whereas Cathay Pacific it's it is not. It it might now be becoming the uh, the more deeply uh, troubled airline, and you know we'll have to see what it does about that. Uh, you know Cathay is 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 one that has, for example. Um, resisted starting a, a low-cost unit. Um, that's something that you know Singapore Airlines has done. It has Scoot. You know, it also has its, its Silk Air short-haul unit. And again, we've, as we've mentioned, you know, that's, that's, that's difficult. Uh, Cathay you know, seeming to sort of show some discipline and saying, hey, that's not what we do. We're not going to distract ourselves with a low-cost unit. But uh, let's see if that doesn't change if these sort of underwhelming margins continue. Uh, you know, they, they could feel more pressure to just kind of do something. Uh, Cathay, by the way, I should mention, does have uh, actually in, in this regard not so different from Silk Air. It has its its uh, Dragon Air unit now being rebranded as as uh, more more part of Cathay itself. That's its its unit that has a lot of Chinese flight rights rights into mainland China uh, and, and and sort of its shorter haul uh, unit. So so uh, broadly speaking, anyway, Dragon Air kind of to Cathay what Silk Air is. To Singapore Airlines again, the big difference between those two companies is that there is no Scoot equivalent at Cathay. I should say one big difference, although certainly not the only one. This week's cover story in Airline Weekly looked at the worsening situation for airlines in the transatlantic market. This is an interesting story to me because, well, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Going back a few years, the legacy carriers, uh, Delta, Air France, KLM, American, IAG, Virgin Atlantic, Lufthansa, United, they all partnered up one way or another, and they were supposed to remain rather dominant in that region. There really were no airlines left to compete with them, but it hasn't worked out that way. Is that a bit of a surprise? To be clear, it's not, you know, Norwegian didn't just appear yesterday, uh, even Wow Air. I mean, you know, these these are, are airlines that, that have been emerging. Uh, but yeah, the idea was supposed to be that there were these giant joint ventures that would uh, you know, dominate the marketplace. 
if anything, you had consumer advocates and, and, and others, some, some of the regulators concerned about all this market power that these airlines would have. And, and that idea seems rather quaint right now, doesn't it? Uh, in, in the face of, of uh, I was going to say rapidly deteriorating, I don't know, I might overstate it, but, but clearly a deteriorating environment across uh, the Atlantic. The newcomers are, are growing rather rapidly. So are some of the other independent airlines flying in that market even some of the alliance members, not members of the joint venture. So they are, you know, an airline like Lot Polish or Tap Portugal uh, or SAS. All three of those happen to be Star Alliance Airlines, uh, you know, Air Berlin for that matter, for One World. Uh, you know, those are competitors, even if they're loose alliance partners with the airlines that are within joint ventures. All of this in a, in a deteriorating demand environment related uh, significantly to to terrorism you know for for a while there there was that hope that people would see it as just a you know just a brussels issue or, or just a paris issue and just you know but once you have enough things happening in enough places then then you do uh, just get people saying, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure I want to uh, travel that part of the world. You know, not, notwithstanding the fact that it's, it's of course, in, in reality, a, a rather safe place to go. So, yeah, so here we are, uh, you know, a market that for many airlines had been the, the bright spot in, in, in a sputtering global economy uh, now becoming rather problematic. And, and from the standpoint of U.S. carriers, uh, you know, they're looking at other regions that are at least perhaps bouncing off their lows, you know, South, South America, Asia, places, you know, that have been problematic where at least things, you know, where at least the worst might be behind them across the Atlantic. On the other hand, you know, nobody's ready to call a bottom. Things have, if anything, only gotten worse in recent months by all appearances and accounts. Okay. I also want to touch on last week's cover story, which detailed a rather long list of challenges faced by Spirit Airlines. Yes, that's right. Spirit Airlines, which has pretty much dominated the U.S. industry in recent years, they are feeling some pressure. One of the big things is that the legacy carriers are matching them on fares, and that's a big problem. But first, let me ask Seth, despite all this, are you bullish on Spirit? Yeah. I mean, look, this is relative, right? You know, we, we talked about troubled airlines before. Spirit, uh, you know, compared to any of those airlines or plenty of others around the world, is not a troubled airline. But in terms of trajectory, uh, you know, it, it it is an airline whose opportunities maybe don't seem as plentiful as, as as they once did. You know, quite simply, Spirit up until not too long ago felt like any big city market pair in in the U.S. I mean, they fly to to the near abroad also, but uh, they were kind of concentrating a lot of growth in domestic U.S., you know, any big city market pair where there was a lot of volume, a lot of demand, and you could fly once, no more than twice a day with this ultra low cost product, that there was room for that. And, and that the legacy airlines probably wouldn't respond all that much because, you know, their flights were rather full with people who were paying much higher fares. So, you know, why would why would they, you know, cannibalize their own uh, uh, pricing structure and, and, and so on and so forth? Well, we know that's no longer the case. Uh, and those legacy airlines have sent a very strong signal that they will compete very vigorously against Spirit and anybody else offering that kind of service. And so all of a sudden, the idea that there were just these countless, you know, dots that you could connect between, you know, Dallas and Chicago and, you know, and who knows, just, just many, many, you know, down to sort of mid-sized cities just go in there with this with these ultra low costs that almost nobody else could could compete with. And, and just keep doing that um, for who knows how many more markets, Th that is, is, is very much threatened right now because anything that you're flying from another legacy hub, which 
I mean, you know, most of the biggest cities are, are a hub for somebody. Uh, there, there's going to be a response. And Spirit is is now sort of uh, uh, pivoting. I've, I've used that word a few times. I guess it's I guess election season has gotten to me or something. But uh, you know, pivoting into um, some some other kinds of flying, which you might call more Allegiant-like flying in less frequent flights from uh, smaller markets to leisure destinations. Uh, in doing so, they've shown a willingness now to, instead of sort of getting the the largest narrow bodies with the very lowest unit cost to say, well, it's a little tougher to fill in, you know, Akron. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe a 319 is a, is a nice jet. Uh, so they're, see, they seem willing to accept higher unit costs because of that and just some other sort of customer friendly things that they uh, appear willing to do. It's going to be interesting because, you know, they became uh, among the very most profitable airlines in the world by having a, among the very lowest unit costs in the world. And and you're definitely threading a needle when you sort of get into, OK, what costs do we accept in exchange for what? Now, look, uh, the, I mean, they're run by some very smart people with with long track records of, of uh, doing well. I said alarm bells earlier. I keep keep. Uh, yeah, all these phrases keep popping back up. That's not the phrase to use with uh, with uh, Spirit in the same way it is with, uh, you know, what do we say, Fast Jet South African and so forth. Certainly no alarm bells, but they are in what for them at least uh, is one of the tougher competitive environments uh, that they've experienced in a long time ever since they, they started their whole transformation into a, uh, a low, low, ultra low cost carrier. A close cousin of Spirit is Frontier Airlines. And last week you interviewed their CEO, Barry Biffle. Great job on that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Of course, you asked about a possible IPO or a possible merger with Spirit. And of course, Barry couldn't or wouldn't comment, but you can comment. Do you see an IPO or a merger in Frontier's future? <laughs> I'd say it's 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 less of a rumor than something that just a lot of people just kind of see as an eventuality. Uh, you know, Spirit Frontier, rather, of course, privately owned by Indigo Partners, this same successful ultra-low-cost uh, investment group that backed the transformation at Spirit and, and others around the world, and uh, I, you know, the pattern with them is that eventually they take these companies public. You know, they've never said with respect to Frontier. Frontier's ever said, you know, they're denied it. They've just, you know, they just it's it's, it's something that they're, of course, they're not going to uh, comment on until it's until until it's imminent, until they're you know filing <laughs> financial disclosures and all the things that they would have to do uh, related to it. But the, the, the market environment's now worse in terms of the, the, just the appetite for airline equity. Timing, all things be equal, of taking an airline public, I mean, it would have been better uh, a little more than a year ago, but but they weren't ready, you know. Uh, so if they could have that market environment with uh, with how they're, you know, with sort of how they're doing now and going forward, they, they'd probably take that, but that's, that's not reality. Uh, but uh, yeah, having said that, I mean, you're, you're talking about an airline that is among the more profitable airlines in the world. I mean, in the U.S., just because the tide is so high, uh, it's it's just kind of middle of the pack in terms of its margins, um, but but certainly not doing badly. What, a, they get 20% margin in the second quarter? <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, they're, they're doing fine. So, uh, so yeah, you, you'd have to say, uh, you're notwithstanding the fact that this is maybe not the very most, very best moment for an airline IPO, uh, that, that, that is... Uh, an eventuality uh, in terms of merging with spirit, you know, um, yeah, again, it's just sort of one of these things, you know, a lot of people just kind of see these airlines as meant to eventually come together, you know, frontier, of course, run by somebody who is a part of, of, of all the success at spirit airlines that broadly speaking, at least are, 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 are rather similar. You wish they had the same engines on their, on their, on their Airbus fleets, which they don't, um, which is maybe the, 
it sounds like a nuance, but it's something with, you know, of some importance. But but at the same time, you know, I I mean, that's not going to prevent the merger. It's just something you wish were different. You know, if you could put those two together and have that scale, you know, I mean, they'd have to decide what, what the branding and precise model would be in terms of the product. You know, do you go with something a little more upmarket like what Frontier is doing? But, you know, Spirit's kind of moving in that direction anyway. What's the timing going to be? I don't know. Um, but but do I think it, it it's at least reasonably likely at, at some moment? Uh, yeah, you know, at least without putting a clock on it and saying, is it going to happen by uh, a certain date? I would say it's almost more likely not to happen. You asked Barry about the legacy carriers matching Frontier fares as they are with Spirit. He didn't seem overly worried. Should he be? Well, I, I think their world has changed in in a meaningful way. Again, the usual caveat, I don't want to say again, but you know, they're doing great and all the rest of it. But when Delta, American, and, and United sort of declare war on on, on these airlines, uh, as they've done, you know, that, that, that does matter. I mean, it, it means that however many opportunities they still have, uh, you know, those opportunities are not as limitless as as they once were. I'm sure he knows that. You know, obviously they see what's going on in their markets. It's a combination of, uh, and, and these are not mutually exclusive, they're very much related, uh, the fact that the legacy airlines are very much paying attention to to the ultra-low-cost ultra carriers and the fact that the fare environment in general is just so much lower than it was uh, that it has made it harder for these airlines to uh, compete on on price alone. A couple of years ago, fares were very, very high, and you know, an airline like Spirit or Frontier could get somebody to fly the airline who didn't really want to fly the airline just by being a whole lot cheaper than the co- competition. Uh, and it's just Jason. I saw an hour or so ago, opened up my email, and I saw you know a fare sale thirty eight dollars on Southwest. Well, when Southwest with you know free well quote unquote free bags and all the rest of it is thirty eight dollars each way. Pretty hard to undercut that by hundreds of dollars. I mean, mathematically, it doesn't exist anymore. To be clear, that's that's of course just in in a few markets. And on average, the ultra low cost carriers are still meaningfully cheaper than Southwest. But the differential isn't what it once was against Southwest, against JetBlue, uh, you know, against the legacy airlines, against Alaska. Because of both of those things, which are related, just the much cheaper fare environment where you can fly an upmarket airline for not all that expensive, and the fact that those airlines are competing in, in a more specific way against low-cost carriers, uh, you know, related partly to just all this capacity that's in the marketplace, which itself is just naturally drives down fares for just very basic supply and demand reasons. But yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's, it is uh, uh, a bit tougher to be um, uh, an ultra-low-cost carrier like Frontier uh, than, it, than it maybe had, had previously been. Uh, having said all that, they're, 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 they're doing very, very well. This is an airline that, you know, really struggled for, for a long time, was, of course, bankrupt and, and is producing very respectable profits. On that happy note, we'll leave it right there. If you haven't heard it already, check out the Frontier interview in last week's show. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, and you just listened to episode 57 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. It wasn't intentional, but the show featured a lot of bad news this week. Yeah, kind of goes against this cheery music, though, right? Right. <laughs>